Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. Hey, everybody. Uh, it's great to be here. Love uh, your pastors. Love, uh, well, I was going to say I love Kitchener-Waterloo. That's, I, I, I can grow to love it. I don't, I don't not love it. I don't, think, I don't think we know each other well enough to love uh, one another. Um, but do love and appreciate your church. And um, like Pastor Brandon said, my family's here. I don't have a picture. They're cute, whatever. Um, it's all good. Uh, can we just, can we jump right in? Can we start reading, can we read the Bible right off the bat? Can we do that? It's all right. Okay. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. Um, part of our, our trip, this is, has nothing to do with this. Uh, part of, I just feel like I need to get something off my chest. Part of our trip this last uh, 10 days or whatever we've been here in Ontario in the, in the promised land um, was to try and give my kids the once-in-a-lifetime experience of playoff sports. And so we went to a Jays game and... Just what a waste of money. Okay, that's all. I just need to tell you. Um, Verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. This has always been God's strategy. It always will be God's strategy that his, his best work, the plans that he has for planet earth, will be accomplished through people. So he blesses us. So we can bless others. We're faithful. He blesses. We bless. That's the pattern. It goes on to say, Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran. He headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the oak of Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by the Canaanites. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. Okay, uh, I'm just going to set this up. This is, a, this is a pretty big shift in the history of the world. Okay, it's a shift from the primeval history of Uh, Sort of the origin story of creation, then there's the fall, then there's the flood, then God's like, man, these people are crazy, so that's why he sent the flood, wiped everything out, started everything fresh and new through through the line of Noah, but then the pattern started to repeat itself. So there there was new and life, but then people got crazy again, sort of the fall, that second fall was heightened by the Tower of Babel, everyone's trying to climb to heaven and think that they can reach the heavens on their own strength, and uh, so it's, it's interesting that this time, creation and fall, God's response to sin was not to obliterate the whole thing and drown everybody and wipe them out. Instead of raising up floodwaters, he decides to raise up a person. And so he highlights Abram and says, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save creation instead of wiping out creation. And I'm going to raise up Abram to do it. And I'm going to fulfill some promises through him that will ultimately redeem the entire world. And I just, that's an encouraging thought to me. 
That since the beginning of time, God has seen chaos. And since this moment and this shift in the creation narrative, God sees chaos and says, man, the answer to chaos is a called person. The answer to chaos is somebody living on purpose, for purpose, set apart by me. And, and so God is still, even right now in 2022, raising up called people in chaos. Everybody in this room is a person who's been called into chaos to build the kingdom. I'm grateful that God is still calling people. I'm grateful that God is still calling households. I'm grateful that God is still calling churches like Slate Church to, to rise up and be a, be a solution in the middle of chaos. I'm grateful that God called Pastor Brandon and Emma and Kenzie and Theo and Claire and Lucy, called, called them to step up and raise them up in this moment, just like he did Abram, to be a response to the chaos in the world. And I'm, I'm grateful for their bold leadership. I'm grateful for their faithfulness. I'm grateful that five years in, through a pandemic, through all the other things that have happened, that Slate Church is still standing, Slate Church is still growing, that God is still doing something. Can you just appreciate strong, faithful, bold, courageous, heroic leaders? And it probably hasn't been like what you expected it to be like. You've probably had to deal with some things that you didn't expect you'd have to deal with. Um, but, but God still raises people up in chaos to make a difference. And so grateful for you guys, grateful to be a part of what God is doing here. And I think, I think the Lord wants to speak to us by his Holy Spirit today. In fact, we should always, every time we open the Bible, our expectation should be that he speaks. Our expectation, because the only barrier between him speaking and, and us receiving is us. And so let's just pray that our hearts would be ready and our spirits open. God, we thank you so much that you're here. God, we thank you that uh, even though there is chaos all around us, there's calling within us. And you're raising up not just one family, but God, a church, a, a community of people to be a response. God, a, a community of people that if we're faithful now, God, it will impact generations and descendants into the future. God, so we just commit today. God, we want to lean into you. We want to hear from your word. God, this is not a momentary calling. It's a generational thing. It's not a momentary church or just a seasonal church. This is a generational church. And so, God, we step into your plan. Ask that you'd speak to our hearts and help us to see Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. Um, this is going to be a hard cut segue. Okay, you ready for it? Nothing prepares you for childbirth. <laughs> See, that was, I told you. I just had to, it was hard. Um, we got four kids. And uh, before the first one came, we were in training as parents. We were doing all the things. We had the books, what to expect when you're expecting. We're going to the classes. We're learning how to breathe together. <laughs> we're doing all the stuff. We're at the, we're at the Lamaze classes, and I'm, I'm rubbing Natasha's back, and we're doing all the exercises together. We're the whole thing. She made me watch movies. You don't recover from that stuff. We're doing all the prep. Now, even when we were in the classes, I, I didn't really pay close attention because I knew that, that I was there more for moral support. But when it came down to the, the moment of birthing, we had, we had a secret weapon. This is like 14 years ago. So this is a little bit granola, and what, but we had a midwife, which is cool now. But 14 years ago, people were like, really? Is she going to be high while she's delivering the baby? Like People just didn't know, right? And so, so we had a midwife. So my expectation was... That once, like, we're in the, the moment of the birth that, I don't know what that was, um, but that once we're in that moment, 
um, that, that I'd just be able to be like, be like, hey, 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 good job, everybody. Great job, great work. And the midwife would be in there doing all the things. And so I remember it was late. It was April 6, 2008. And uh, late at night, and Natasha's like, okay, it's go time. I'm like, all right, call the midwife. This is going to be awesome. And, um, and, and we, we start driving, and it's, it was a weird moment because you're driving, and she's telling you to go faster and slower at the same time. Like, she's freaking out. Every bump hurts. It's raining. It's going crazy. We get in to the labor and delivery room, and we had a big room. And so we had, there was a tub, and so we're swimming. And then she gets out of the tub. Then she's in the bed, and it's, it's, all, it's all good. And, 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 and just for, I was doing great. Thank you for asking. I was fine. I was crushing it. I'm feeding her ice chips. She wasn't even asking, but I read that that was a good thing. And so you don't want her to get dehydrated. She's just trying to breathe. And I'm like, here, have some more ice chips. Have some more ice chips. I just feed them in. I'm rubbing her back. I'm encouraging her. I'm putting the cold cloth on her forehead. I'm like, baby, you are one, you are one in several billion who have done this. You're, you're, and it's true, though. It's true. There's a, there's a lot of dads in the room lied to your wife. Don't lie. Oh, you're one in a million. You're, no, you're not. There are three and a half billion people on the planet who are going to give birth. She was one. And I thought that would be comforting to her. So I'm like, hey, you're one of so many billions who have done this already. Um, you're my favorite, um, but don't pretend you're the only one. And so I'm helping, and it's good, and we have a flow. And then early in the hours of April 7th, little Chloe Aria emerges into the world, and I'm holding her, and it's beautiful, and it's emotional, and it's amazing, and it's a miracle, and it's like bliss and all, all this stuff. And then the midwife looks at me, and she says, hey, Dad, do you want to cut the cord? And I looked at the midwife, and I said, no! And uh, now I realize this, that you might be saying, like, well, that's not, that's not a very modern dad thing. That's fine. We're not eating placenta pills at our house either. Okay, that's weird. We don't have placenta prints up on our wall. And, and, and yeah, so maybe modern dads do that. I'm not a modern dad. You know what else I'm not? I'm not a surgeon. I spend most of my life talking to people. I don't operate on things. And so I had no interest in cutting the cord. Like, um, well, he, why didn't he just cut the cord? All the other dads cut the cord. It's a really cool thing to cut the cord. doesn't matter to me. She's already mad at me and has blamed me several times in the last few hours for the hell she's going through. And now you want me to take a surgical tool and sever an organ from the body of my wife and the body of my newborn child and think that somehow I'm not going to get in trouble for that? It's the middle of the night. I'm not even coherent. I was the only person in the delivery room who took shots of the laughing gas. Just me. And you want me to perform my first surgery right now? And the midwife looks at me. She says, really, Dad, are you sure you don't want to do it? She's put on the pressure. I'm like, yeah, Karen, I'm sure. Leave me alone. And she's like, she goes into it. Did you know that cutting the cord creates an emotional bond between the parent and the child? It also represents to the mother that you're in a partnership together. You're going to raise the child together. And I was like, Karen, how do you think we got here? It was a partnership that led us into this room. I'm feeling quite emotionally attached. Thank you very much. Actually, I'm emotionally scarred after what I've witnessed. I don't even know how I'm going to give my wife a hug. 
So I'm trying to process, and you're asking me to do surgery. Besides, the umbilical cord looks like octopus at a seafood buffet. I don't even like seafood. It's all bad. And so I just had to tell her to do her job. So you cut the cord. I'm not cutting the cord. And listen, I'm sure the studies are accurate. I'm excited to testify to you today that I'm defying the odds. I feel emotionally attached to my children. We parent in partnership. We're good. And so if you're a cord-cutting dad, all the power to you. That's great. You can do you. That's not me. And I had to shut the mill down because things kept getting crazier at our house. We had a birthing room the first time. By the last one, kids were just coming out in the bathtub in my bedroom. So we're done. Uh, Cutting the cord, obviously... um, We understand what it means in the context of labor and delivery. It's also an idiom that just means you've got to sever ties from what you depend on, uh, what what has been protective and supportive. And in the account of Abram, uh, God gives this very clear instruction. Before God told him to go and before God um, told him what the promises were going to be and before God unpacked any of the details, God said, Abram, you have to leave. you got to leave first. And as a... As a guest speaker, um, I was thinking about preaching about Abram, and uh, I'm coming thinking, okay, Abram's the father of faith. He's kind of a legend in faith circles. Like, that's good. I can, I can share some, some big, uh, you know, like, hey, we're going to have crazy faith, and the next season's going to be amazing. And, and, and I, I anticipated being like, hey, Slate Church, um, you're headed into a season of miracles. And then you would be like, yeah. Like, you'd be excited with me, right? Like that's what I was hoping for. Let's try that. Okay. Um, hey, Slate Church, you're headed into a season of miracles. <laughs> See, that's what I was hoping for. That I'd be like, hey, it's going to be a season of more. And you'd be like, yeah. yeah. Okay. See, that feels good. But then I read the story. And I was like, man, before any of the good stuff happened, Abram needed a season of subtraction. He actually needed less. And it doesn't feel motivational to step in somewhere where you don't necessarily know everybody and say, hey, um, great news, this next season, if you want to move forward, it's going to be a season of loss. It's probably going to be harder than you thought it, w- it would be. It's probably going to be a season of less. Um, and, and listen, what I'm, what I'm realizing is, easy, even as I've been tracking with you guys over the last several weeks through your No One Else Is Coming series, and, 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 and that's true, and nobody else is coming, but also part of the problem is that even though we know it's our responsibility and we've got a job to do and nobody else is coming, we have a hard time going because we don't know how to leave. There are things that we have to leave, and you cannot go until you leave. And so, yeah, Abram is stepping into an unknown future And we give him a lot of faith credit for that. But he knew exactly what he had to do in that moment. He didn't know where he was going, but God left nothing to chance. He he said, this is what you have to leave. you got to leave country. you got to leave family. And you got to leave household. The command to leave always comes before the command to go. Um, um, Actor Jim Carrey, old now, but, you know, 25 years ago was awesome. And uh, there used to be a sketch show called In Living Color. And uh, if you follow Jesus, don't look it up. Uh, but if you, if you still got a little bit of wild side, I suggest you do. Um, and uh, there, he was part of this sketch once. It's called um, Umbilical Berry. And so uh, he's like this young, 
college-age guy, and he rolls into a party, and he's trying to, trying to make some friends and, and meet some people, and, and he's got some things going for him. He's got some personality, got some charisma, but he still had the umbilical cord attached to his mom, okay? And so, yeah, it's a little bit graphic, but just roll with me for a second. And so every time he tries to have a conversation, it's like pulling on his shirt because he's still got the umbilical cord. And his mom's sitting there awkwardly over in the corner because it's still attached to her, too. And we don't need to get into all those details. But every time he moved in a chat with somebody, there's this tension, and it's pulling his mom. And it was disgusting. It was wrecking relationships. It was socially awkward. It's weird to look at. And it's always this tension that's pulling him back. He couldn't go very far. And some of us experience tension in trying to follow the call of God because there are things that are still part of our past and we haven't learned how to leave and cut the cord so we can just move on to what God wants for us. And so it's awkward and it's hurting relationships and it might even be holding you back and people are looking like, oh man, what is up with them? What is the issue? What's the deal? It's just that we haven't cut the cord. And so even though the umbilical cord is a graphic image, because, you know, I know that we have good intentions and I know that we want to do the right thing and we want to be obedient and we want to do the will of God. But because we don't know how to leave well, we're, we're trying to follow God and live up to the calling and purpose that he's dropped on the inside of us. But we're dragging all of this dead weight from our past behind us. It slows us down. It's uncomfortable and it's awkward. We have to cut the cord. And sometimes following God feels like moving backwards. Sometimes, sometimes God saying, I need you to go, starts with, I've got to leave some things. Um, um, sometimes God's going to ask you to walk through a season of loss and less before you can step into the more that he promises us. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 says, this one thing I do, this is the Apostle Paul, says, I, I forget what lies behind, like I cut the cord, And then I strain forward to what lies ahead. And I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Every life in the room has an upward call. Slate Church has an upward call. Every Christian has an upward call. But it requires a severing of the cord to move forward. God often uses regress to bring progress. And that should be an encouragement. Because you're not actually going backwards. You've severed some things so you can move forward. So there are three things I see in the text that Abraham has to leave, or Abram at this point has to leave before he can go. It says, leave your native country. That's number one, leave your country. A country is a large population base. It's one location. It's, uh, um, countries are determined by close proximity, which makes them different from nations because nations are determined by common purpose. And so God says, I need you to leave your country where you have proximity, and I'm going to turn you into a nation, which is a people of purpose. And, 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 and I love that, because every time God tells you to leave something, he actually has something better for you. Every time um, he tells you to leave something, it's probably going to be hard, and it's going to be difficult, and it's going to be uncomfortable, but he has something better for you. So he says, I need you to leave your country. Well, why does he have to leave his country? Well, because countries have cultures. And we're supposed to represent a different culture. And so Abram was from Mesopotamia. That was his country. That's his region. That's his culture. And it was common in the, in the ancient Near East uh, and, and where, where Abram was from uh, to be uh, polytheistic. So they worshipped a whole bunch of different gods. They had a different god for everything. 
So if they needed rain, they'd pray to the rain god. If when Abram and Sarai were trying to conceive a child, they'd pray to the god of fertility. If they were headed into war, they'd pray to the god of war for victory. They, they, had, a, they had all these different gods that they would pray to. And, and now the first time they meet, uh, the Bible says and is very clear that the Lord spoke to Abram. Um, this is significant because the word Lord is different from all of the small G gods that Abram had been worshiping for his 75 years on the planet. Now, all of a sudden, the God, Jehovah, Yahweh, and the, the, the word used to describe him there in the text is the pre-existing one shows up and says, Abram, if you're going to go, you've got to cut off your dependence on all of these little gods that aren't really doing anything for you you got to cut off your dependence on, 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 on all the places that you look to for hope and fulfillment and satisfaction. you got to cut that off and worship me. It's just me. And so there's this major move in Abram's mindset. Because where everything in his culture says, no, you go to a bunch of different places as your, your multiplied sources. God shows up, says, Abram, I know... You've been running yourself ragged, trying to be fulfilled. You've been worshiping all of these small gods that make you feel safe, but really they've got you stuck. And, and, and I, I came to let you know, I'm the pre-existing one. I'm the only one you need. I am whatever you need. I am all sufficient. I'm the supply. And I just felt, as I was digging into that, man, God started to speak to my own heart and remind me that even though I come to church and I attend, and I've, we got a great church. This is a great church. We can be lulled into thinking we're monotheistic just by association, right? Because the belief statement is like, you know, we serve one God, and we, we sing worship songs to, to one God, and um, we, we hear sermons about one God. But if we're, if we're being really honest, we're probably a lot more polytheistic than we want to admit, aren't we? Right? Like, just because we show up here doesn't mean that we're not worshiping some small G gods in our off time. Um, Like a a God is anything that we look to to satisfy the deepest longings and fulfillment of our hearts. Where we look to to belong and to find purpose and security and identity. And so we worship the gods of stuff. Like, man, if I just had, I'd be. We worship the gods of sex and feeling and emotion. Like if I, if I could just feel or attain, I'd be. We worship the God of, of power and influence. We love to worship self. I mean, that's our favorite thing to worship. Self-help and self-reflection and self-care is all selfish. Because why? It's just focused on me. And there's, there's no amount of self anything that can do in your life what the pre-existing one can do if you would just give him control. It's only Jesus can set, uh, can set us free. So we, we run to all these things. But listen, God requires exclusivity. On the throne of our hearts, there is only room for one person. And he will not compete for attention. Uh, he will not compete for his space on the throne of your life. So the minute we run to something else, he's gone. He's out. Now listen, he's not far. He's always there. He's always close. He's always waiting. Like, man, as soon as there's a vacancy, he's like, hey, it's me. I'm the one you need. I'll jump in. Like, he's really close, but he's not going to contend for that position of authority. He's not a subscription service. You don't just sign up for God when things aren't going well. He's not Disney Plus. He's not Apple Plus. It's not like you, you sign up for a relationship with God and you get some access to some bonus features. It's not God plus anything. It's God only. He's God above all other little gods. 
He's Lord above all lords. He has no beginning. He has no end. Nobody created him. Nobody sustains him or supports him. He does not need help to keep things going. God never sleeps. God never slumbers. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's God all by himself. Jehovah is his name. And listen, you know what I, I love about the Old Testament? Is that in the Old Testament, they really believed that if they, the name of God was sacred because they believed if they said it, it was synonymous with his presence. So if I say the name of God, it invokes his presence immediately. If I say his name, he's there. Man, I think we've lost that a little bit. We've gotten careless with the name of God. We start to underestimate its power. Man, what if we really believed again that the minute I echo the name of the pre-existing one, the minute I say the name of Jesus, I'm ushered into his presence. The minute I say the name of Jesus, there's healing available to me. The minute we say the name of Jesus, there's joy and there's peace and there's hope and there's life and there's forgiveness and there's possibility. What if we remembered that at the mention of his name, demons tremble that someday at his name, not any other name, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We got to remember what we have. He's the only one we need. So we need to separate ourselves from culture that says we need all this other stuff. We got to cut the cord. If we're going to move forward, it's got to be God only. So he says, you got you to cut the cord from your country. And then he says, you got to leave your relatives. Now, this is very convenient. Because last Sunday, we entered into the gauntlet of unwanted family requirements. It was Thanksgiving. And that starts all of these extended family gatherings that people kind of want to go to, but you dread going to. And you, there's, I, and I mean, tell me, when, once you start having kids, it gets even crazier. Because they're like, hey, yeah, but that uncle smells a little bit. And you're like, yeah, that's okay. Not, not Uncle Nathan. <laughs> I'm thinking, maybe it's the other side of the family. But... You start to have to, and so, so this is good. He says, you got to leave your relatives. So if you need an out from, a, from, you know, Thanksgiving or Christmas or anything that's happening between now and then, you can just say, hey, you know, I'm just trying to apply Genesis chapter 12. So to leave my family. I need a time of separation from you. You're bad for me. <laughs> family comes from the word familiar. They share the same root. And, and what really is happening here is God is saying, hey, Abram, you need to cut ties with what's familiar. You need to cut ties with culture, but you need to cut ties with what's familiar. And if we're saying yes to the call of God, it's going to require that we walk away from that which is familiar. Leave what you're familiar with. Not that there's anything wrong with his family per se. I'm sure they were great people, but God called Abram to be set apart. Uh, I grew up uh, in Ontario, and uh, one of the struggles I have with returning to Ontario is that every time I come back, um, there's always a few people um, not just you, Dad, uh, that call me John. And so I'm working on it. My parents have come a long way, and I don't know how that ever happened. They named me Jonathan. And, uh, but there's always a few people that are like, hey, John Lambert, whatever. I'm like, who? I don't. John Lambert was 15 with a lot of zits, a mullet, thought he was great at hockey, wasn't really. Like, that's John Lambert. He doesn't exist anymore. He's not here. At the, inevitably, every holiday season, we get a Christmas card from some aunt or some uncle somewhere that's like to John, Natasha, and the kids. And I give it to my wife and I say, they wrote a card to your other husband again. Like, it's just not, it's not me. And it's interesting because um, God called Abram, but, but throughout scripture, he's the God of Abraham. Okay, so there was a transition that was going to take place, a transformation where Abram wasn't supposed to stay Abram. God had something different for him. He was doing a work. He saw potential. He had a plan. And so, so God said, hey, I need you to leave 
that group that still wants you to be Abram. I need you to, listen, there was a group of people that loved Abram. They could predict what Abram was going to do. They knew Abram. They understood Abram. God says, listen, I need you to stop hanging around with the people that still want you to be that guy. Because I've got something new for you. And so we got to be willing to break with what's familiar to become what we don't even know we can be yet. And as long as Abram was still connected to his people, he wasn't going to be able to be Abraham. He had to shift. His people weren't inferior. They, it's just that at this stage in his life, like, thank God, he's 75 years old. They were no longer necessary. What God wanted to do in him meant that he needed to separate from what was from the old influences. Because God had to get him out of the old influences so he could become an influencer of nations. This is significant. Because, guys, we're, we're not supposed to be influenced. We're supposed to be influencers. That doesn't mean you should quit your job and monetize your social media accounts or launch a multi-level marketing scheme. Don't do that. It's all weird. <laughs> well, he says, I need you to leave your people. I need you to leave where you've been influenced so you can influence. Leave your people and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. He was not supposed to be influenced anymore. He was the one that was supposed to set the tone. He was supposed to start dictating culture. He's supposed to take responsibility, not use blending in with, not to blend in with people, but to be set apart for the purposes and calling of God. Listen, we have to embrace the fact that if we have the pre-existing one living on the inside of us, that we are supposed to change every room we walk into. The idea that we should shift and change culture is not just on Pastor Brandon, and it's not just on the collective slate church as a whole. It's on every individual who says, I'm going to follow Jesus. I've got the Holy Spirit on the inside of me, so I have to influence my workplace. I can't be intimidated by the culture in my office. i got to walk in there understanding that I've got everything I need on the inside of me, that the Spirit of God in me is bigger than the Spirit that's in the world or the culture that's in my office, and i got to make a difference. I'm supposed I'm supposed to have impact on my street. I'm supposed to have impact in the grocery store. I'm supposed to have impact when I'm wearing my Lulus and I got my hair up in a top bun and I'm dropping the kids off at school. We impact culture. And we don't have the luxury of going back. We don't have the luxury of familiar. We don't need what was. Listen, this is, I think, especially in, in the season of life where just the church in general in Canada, but like just let's slate church for a minute. We don't need anything that Slate Church was. If we needed it, we'd still be there. You don't need what it was. We need to let it go and get ready for what it will be. God's doing something new. New in Slate Church, new in the Tri-Cities, and new because we're full of the Holy Spirit and full of life. And listen, revival starts with prayer, but it spreads with praise as we celebrate the testimonies of the miracles of life transformation that are happening. God is doing something new. So don't pray and expect for something that was. we got to get comfortable with the fact that the future will not be familiar 10 years from now. When you're celebrating the 15th anniversary as a church, man, you're going to be able to say, I was there in the theater. I was there when we set up the stage and the pipe and drape and we, you know, the the countdown clock on the sermon was like 21 minutes because we had to be out because they got movies going. I was there when there's popcorn on the floor. I was there when we were hustling in and out every week. Man, I was there when we were doing like like all these services and portable locations. Pastor Brandon was telling me this morning, this is the longest you've ever had a Sunday morning venue. 
Man, I was there when we were playing musical chairs with church. Not, not just chairs, musical venues running from here to here to here. So we, no, I was there. Everyone's going to be like, you were there? Yeah, I was there. Because now you're, now you're at this permanent facility, and you've got thousands of people coming to church. And they're going to be like, man, you were an OG. You were there at the theater? Yeah, I was there at the, I was there at the theater. Wow, we've got to get ready for something new. Cut off the expectation that what has been familiar needs to be in my future. And the final thing he says, you need to leave your father's house. Leave what's safe. Leave what's comfortable. Leave what makes sense. I mean, especially in this culture, the way you went from one, your, your um, inheritance, your retirement plan was just outliving your dad because you would inherit everything that he had. And so for Abram to have to leave his home was basically mailing it in on the future plan that everybody thought he should just follow. And, and I, I think we cannot forget, even though, hey, it's been five years and things are pretty good and, and you, you've bought a building and you, you have staff and you've got things happening that at some point, Slate Church only happened because leaders said, hey, we'll go all in. And if it doesn't work, we're screwed. Can I just encourage you? I don't know if you've been here for five years, five weeks, or the last 50 minutes, but can I encourage you, do not lose the spirit of all in. Don't lose the spirit of, of all in. The next level is only possible as hundreds of people now have the opportunity to say, I'm in. God didn't tell us we'd be safe. He never promised comfort. And so we have a culture that values those two things over almost everything else. You can't challenge somebody right now because it makes them uncomfortable. Do you know why there's so much stupid in the world? Because you can't call out stupid because people get offended. It's ridiculous. Hey, don't, hey, I don't like it when people call out my stupid, but I still need it. And, and God, God didn't promise comfortable, but he did promise a comforter. And he did it for a reason. Why would he do that if it was going to be easy? Why would he do that if we weren't going to have to sacrifice a little bit to move forward? Why would he do that if reaching the Tri-Cities area was as simple as opening the doors? Why would he do that if your family getting saved was just going to happen without you needing to take a faith step? Why would he do that if faith wasn't the most irrational, terrifying, risky decision you were ever going to make in your life? It would have been comfortable for Abram to stay, but he never would have fathered nations. Would have been comfortable for Gideon to hang in the wine press, but he never would have led a nation to freedom. Would have been comfortable for Elisha to stay in the field, but he never would have seen miracles. Would have been comfortable for David to stay in the pasture, but he never would have been king in the palace. Would have been comfortable for Jesus to have some prayer time in a garden and turn around and go home. But he didn't. Because every good thing God's trying to do in your life is on the outside of your comfort zone. It's not going to feel good. It's going to hurt. God, forgive us for thinking that we could build your kingdom and be comfortable. For thinking we could be the spark that ignites revival in our city and our family and be comfortable. God, forgive us for thinking that I could be a Christian and have influence only by showing up for church a couple hours on a Sunday. God, forgive me for not realizing that, that I need to give sacrificially and serve with my whole life that I need to witness and invite people, that I need to intercede and pray, God, forgive me. He says, Abram, you got to go, but first you got to leave culture. You got to leave familiar. 
and you're going to leave comfort. And the, the heading in my Bible says, the call of Abram. It's interest, interesting because I think a lot of times, <coughs> excuse me, we waste a lot of energy, especially as Christians, trying to figure out what our calling is. What am I called to? You know, we, we roll up in church and like, are you involved in Slate? No, not really. Why not? Well, I'm just trying to figure out what I'm called to, what my area is. You know, God didn't be like, hey, Abram, I want you to go. And I'm, I just, hey, buddy, let's, we'll take some time to figure it out. Like, do you want to be on a coffee together? Abram, do you want to serve in kids, man? Abram, do you want to, Abram, you got a good eye, man. Social media, that's your team. No. He didn't give him options. He didn't say, Abram, I, I just want you to serve where you're most comfortable and what doesn't take too much of your time. I just want you to serve in an area that fits your interests, that doesn't really stretch you. What are your passions and abilities? No, no, no. He said, Abram, leave all that junk and go and be part of something bigger than yourself, and we will figure it out on the way. Can I encourage you? Leave it and go. Get behind your leaders. Be a part of something that's bigger than yourself, and God will show you what you need on the way. And here's the beautiful thing of this story, and I'm just about done. God promises, I'll take you to a place that I'll show you. And Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up a camp beside the Oak of Morah. So he comes to this tree in a place called Morah. And Morah means teacher. So just, Abram says, okay, I'm going to leave. And he starts to walk around. And God stops him at the tree of the teacher. and, And he says, Abram, this is it. You left all that stuff. This is exactly where I need you to get to was the tree of the teacher. This is the place I'm going to give your descendants. Abram's like, right here? God's like, yes. This is it. Exactly where you're supposed to be. Listen, I don't know what God has for the future of Slate Church. I don't know how many campuses you're going to have. I don't know how many millions of dollars are going to be in the bank. I don't know sort of, I don't know all the international missions you're going to be a part of and how many hundreds of staff and thousands of people will get saved. But I do know this. The details God will take care of if we cling to the tree of the teacher. If we make our life's purpose about hanging on to the cross of Christ and cutting the cord from everything else that we used to depend on and say, I don't need anything else. I just need him. I'm going to anchor my life to the tree of the teacher. And if I'm there, listen, that is the most precious thing you can give to the next generation. What we're doing today is not about us. It's about your kids and your kids' kids. What we need to give them is a space at the tree of the teacher. Lead them to the cross. Teach them how to hold on to the cross. Show them that it's all about Jesus. Show them how to not be moved when the world wants you to move. Show them what it is to be steadfast and faithful. We need to cut the cord. And I believe today God's calling this room full of people back to the tree of the teacher saying, hey, keep it about this. There's a lot of other great things that are going to happen in your life, but it starts by being right here at the tree of the teacher, at the cross of Jesus Christ and never letting go. Can we pray together? Come on, you just bow your heads. Maybe stand up with me. Stand, I don't know if you do that, but why don't you just stand for a minute? We'll pray. If you don't stand, I'm sorry, you can sit down later. 
Jesus, I thank you so much for every person in the room. God, I thank you for Slate Church. I thank you that you have a good and perfect plan. God, I thank you that you, you are, are calling us to leave some things so we can step into the future that you've prepared for us as a church community. God, right now, for the person who, even as I was talking, God, it was the Holy Spirit speaking to their heart saying, hey, you, you got to cut some things off. You've been depending on some things. you got some habits. you got some relationships. you got some mindsets you need to let go of. God, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit in us, you give us a strength to let go of each and every one of those things. And God, right now, for the person who might be in the room and doesn't have a relationship with you, God, I pray you'd, you'd help them to hang on to you with everything they have. Maybe that's you today. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've been wandering. You've been alone. You've been frustrated. You're exhausted. Things haven't been working. With everybody's eyes closed, I'm going to count to three. And if that's you, and, and you're saying, hey, I need to get my life right with God. I need to, I need to hang on to Jesus. If that's you, when I hit three, I just want you to slip up your hand real quick. If that's you, here we go. One, two, time to get your life right. Three, go ahead. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you on the side. Thank you in the middle. Thank you. Hey, if you raise your hand or maybe you made that decision in your heart, can you repeat this simple prayer after me? Say, Jesus, I can't do this by myself. I need you in my life. Come into my heart. Amen. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.